Well, uh, right after Lauren and I got married, uh, we'd had a, a new job lined up. I had left a church I'd been serving at, and we got married, and we had a, a month of time between our wedding day and when we started a new job that provided housing and everything. And so we had a month where we didn't have uh, any place to live. And my in-laws graciously offered to let us live with them, which we decided we didn't really want to be an option in the first month of, of marriage. So we politely declined. And instead, we decided, since we didn't know what else to do, uh, that we would go to South America and explore. And so we backpacked through South America for about a month. And a week of that included time in Patagonia, Chile. And so behind me, you can see this is a picture we took. Actually, had to take a boat ride to get to the place where we were going to start hiking. And so, I mean, this is probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. So we get here, and we had a, a four-night, five-day, uh, out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere backpacking trip that we'd planned. So we'd been hiking for three, day, or three nights, four days at this point, and, and we get to this spot where there's a junction in the trail. And about five miles below this junction in the trail, there, there's this big lodge where a lot of tourists would come, and they could, could rent horses and, and ride up to where we were, right? So we come around with... I had a 30-pound pack on. I think Lawrence was like 15 or 20. And we're tired and we're exhausted and we're resenting these people on horses riding past us saying excuse me and we have to step off to the side so they can ride on through. But we get up here and there's, there's this like little snack shop set up. And at that point, when you're, you're backpacking, like you're not eating the greatest food, um, so you're, you're always kind of hungry. And we get there and they had one liter bottles of Coca-Cola. And we're sitting there, and I was like, man, that looks good. Like, I don't know if I can pass this up. So I, I bought a liter of Coca-Cola, which I had to pack for another three miles up the hill, so I resented it a little bit then. So we make dinner when we, when we uh, got to our campsite, and I'm pretty sure I drank the entire liter of Coca-Cola myself. Um, I don't really share my food. It's something the Lord is working on me in in marriage. Um, <laughs> but I, I tend to order exactly the amount that I want, and... I, with chagrin, will share with Lauren from time to time. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I drank this entire thing myself. Now, the problem is, is at altitude, it's really, really, really important to stay hydrated. So I drink a, a liter bottle of Coca-Cola and we go to sleep. And this place where we were camping is one of the most well-known places in, in Patagonia, Chile. I'm going to switch to the next picture. Um, these three towers of granite are called, uh, it's Torres del Paine National Park. And people get up routinely at 3 a.m. where we were camping, and everybody hikes up here to watch the sunset or the sunrise, because as the sun comes up, it just turns these mountains a beautiful crimson red. So we get up at 3.30 in the morning, and there's just a sea of headlamps as people are making their way up to this, this viewpoint. And about 20 minutes in, I feel so sick. It's like I hated it, right? We're in one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, and I'm just trying not to throw up. And, you know, everyone talks about the, the honeymoon phase where things are just great and everything's. I'm pretty sure the honeymoon phase for us ended that day uh, because we're on this beautiful hike. And I'm like, Lauren, I hate this. I just think, I think we should stop. I want to go back. Uh, this, is, this is horrible. It's I just, we should give up. I, I don't even want to go up there at 4 a.m. in the morning. No, no one should be awake at this time, right? And I'm just, I, I was not a delightful person to be with, Right. Because I'm, I feel sick to my stomach. I think I'm going to both simultaneously vomit and pass out, which is a bad combination. And Lauren's small, so she can't catch me. So I'm going to, you know, this is just not going to go well. So we, we stumble across this stream, and I'm so thirsty and so dehydrated. 
that I make the great gastrointestinal gamble to drink this unfiltered, untreated water. Now, fortunately, I won this one, all right? But I drop to my knees and I just start guzzling this, this water that's flowing from who knows where to who knows where, right? I don't even, I don't even care at this moment. So I, I drink all this water and I kind of start to come back to life. And we get to this place and we watch the sun come up. And it, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen is these mountains just turned a deep crimson red. And it was one of those moments where I thought, man, I almost missed this. Because back earlier in the trail when I felt so sick, I just wanted to give up. I didn't want to continue. Who would continue hiking at this time of the day? Let's just quit. But we chose to, to lean in, to stay in, to push through, and we got to see this beautiful, amazing sight in a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I think it's important in Colossians chapter 2, as Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, in verse 6 he says this, he says, So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Did you notice that one of the first things that, that Paul said? Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. And, and he encourages uh, the, the church at Colossae to stay on the path and on their trajectory that they're in. And later, Paul will warn them about all of these false teachings that are going on around them. Paul says, what you've received, continue in that. Don't give up. When it gets difficult, when it gets hard, don't, don't throw in the towel. Continue in what you've received. And, and I think this is really, really important because there are times and places in our faith journey where we're tempted to give up. Now, as a pastor, I have the privilege of getting to walk alongside people frequently in their faith journey. And, and I've made some observations about uh, this journey that I often watch. So what I've noticed is someone will come to Christ, give their life to him, and there's usually this, this abrupt and sudden growth spiritually as, as they encounter new knowledge and understanding. And there's usually a great deal of excitement that goes along with this as they experience the true uh, life-giving freedom that Jesus brings. So there's a sense of newness to this, and there's often a sense of emotional connection with Jesus. There's something very real and very tangible that they feel happening in their life, and there's something about this that is, it just is exciting, almost in an overwhelming sense. And what I often watch happen is there's this shifting moment where the person continues to grow, but it sort of flatlines a little bit. Uh, someone first hour suggested the metaphor of like a plane taking off. There's this sudden rise in this understanding, and you sort of get to cruising altitude, and our, our tendency is to sort of settle in and cruise. Now, the person is still growing spiritually. They're still, God is doing things in their life, uh, but some of this sort of newness and excitement feels sometimes a little bit diminished. Now, the other thing that I've watched happen is there usually becomes uh, what I call a crisis moment in the life and faith journey of a person. They've been going along, they've been learning, they've been encountering God's presence, and in this crisis moment, suddenly things begin to change. And I think it's in this crisis moment and some of the things that unfold here that we're tempted to, to stop the faith journey. We're tempted to give it up. But like Paul and his writing to the Colossians, we have to be willing to continue to push through. So one of the first things that I watch happen here in, in, in this crisis moment is sometimes doubt begins to develop. And often I watch doubt begin to develop around difficult seasons of life. Maybe it's, it's someone loses a job. 
Maybe it's a financial difficulty. Maybe it's a health difficulty. Or sometimes it's a culmination of several of those things. And in that season of difficulty, we sort of begin to ask new questions. We say, okay, God, uh, you, you promised that you would be with me. You promised that you would provide, that your presence would never leave me. But, but God, I'm in this season of difficulty, and, and there's this financial trouble or this health struggle. And, and God, where, where are you in the midst of this? And in that questioning of God's presence in a season of difficulty, we begin to doubt. We begin to question the strength and the validity of the faith that we previously had accepted so readily. Now, the other thing that I watch happen is that sometimes doubt builds into discouragement. And in those seasons of doubt, we begin to question the the motivation and the confidence that we have to continue in this faith journey. And part of what I think shifts here is, is where we first came to Christ, there was often this emotional experience. We tangibly felt God's presence. But sometimes in the season of doubt that builds into discouragement, part of what we question is, God, I don't feel your presence in this place. I remember when I first came to Jesus, you know, prayer felt exciting and vibrant, and the Bible just came to life, and, and now I'm in this place, and it, it just it doesn't feel the same. Now, I, I think there's actually something really healthy taking place here. I, I, think, I think in our culture, we have a tendency towards emotionalism. And we have this tendency towards the things that we feel, that's what actually defines reality. I can think of a number of friends in my life, people that I've known since high school and college that got married and were married for three or four years and are now divorced. And part of their divorces was something like my spouse told me or I told them that I just didn't love them anymore. And part of what they're saying is that emotional high that we experienced at the beginning, we don't feel that anymore. So this must not be real. So we're done. And and part of what I think, though, can be healthy here is that as we mature to this place and as we weather a season of difficulty and weather even a season of of discouragement, what happens is that God is removing us from a, a spirituality based on emotionalism and is bringing us to a true foundation of faith. Because in this season of doubt and discouragement, what's happening is we're forced to believe that what Jesus says is true, even if it doesn't feel like it. That's tough, isn't it? Doubt can build into discouragement. The other thing that I watch happen sometimes is what I call being disillusioned. And often, where doubt might center around a difficult season, and out of that comes discouragement, disillusioned, or disillusionment, I think usually happens in relationships. As, as I've talked to people, often uh, there's some sort of story about they're growing in their faith, and then maybe it was a pastor or a mentor or maybe just someone else at church that says something that offends them or wounds them. And in this place of being disillusioned, this person begins to say, okay, I'm, I'm not sure this whole faith thing is what I thought it was because I go to church and this person said something or did something to me that deeply hurt and deeply wounded me. And, and, I, and I don't know if, if, if the church is actually right and true or not. It just seems like it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And this person gets so disillusioned that out of this, there is the temptation to make a faith detour. And to make a faith detour is this place where we say, you know what, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive off. I think, I'm, I think I'm done with this whole faith thing. 
And this temptation to make a detour is this place where a person begins to look at other ideologies and philosophies and worldviews outside of Christianity because they're not sure after doubt and discouragement and disillusion that they want to continue. So for Paul, we understand why he's so adamant about this. He tells the the Colossian church, which which has been healthy, he says, continue. This this life-giving relationship that you've encountered and received in Jesus Christ, he says, continue in that because it's vitally and fundamentally important. Now, I think the question that we could rightly ask and should be asking is, how do we continue? How do we continue to push into this? Do, Do we just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, okay, I'm going to try really hard not to be filled with doubt or not to be discouraged. I don't think so. I think Paul gives us three really important fundamental things about what it is to continue in our faith journey. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, push in, lean in, stay in, continue to live in him, rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I think there's three really important things that Paul gives us here that help us stay on a path of continuing in our spiritual growth and development. The first is this. The first is being rooted. And when you think about the agricultural metaphor that that Paul is drawing from, this idea of being rooted, think about how the roots keep a plant sturdy and stable. The roots also go down deep into the soil and they pull water and nutrients and minerals from the soil that help keep the plant healthy. So I think for us, part of the question becomes, what are the kinds of things that we need to be rooted in? And I want to suggest to you this morning three simple things that help us stay rooted. The first is prayer. Have you ever thought about how crazy prayer is? That the God of all creation says that we have access to him anytime we want, that we can enter his presence that we can bring our prayers and our concerns and our thanksgiving to him anytime, any place, anywhere. That is mind-boggling to me. And as I think about my, my relationship with my wife, Lauren, I think one of the fundamental things is having these moments to just sit down and have a heart-to-heart conversation. And now married with kids, it means that there's times that we have to intentionally carve out time, get a babysitter, go to dinner, and just sit down and ask about one another's heart. But that relational moment to connect at a heart level is part of what keeps us rooted and bonded together in marriage. Now, I think the same thing happens in a spiritual sense. This moment of prayer is a moment of connecting on a heart level with the God of all creation, of of, of bringing our concerns to him and of hearing his voice tangibly in our life. And it's part of what keeps us rooted and growing. I, I think the second component to being rooted is being a people whose lives are saturated in the word of God. I think it's so fundamentally important that we are a people whose lives are rooted and built down deep on this foundational truth revealed in God's word. And third, I think we need to remain rooted in community and in body life. Now, here's what's challenging, I think, about that. Is in relationship with other believers is one of those places where we can become disillusioned where someone says something that hurts or wounds or offends or someone does something or we we misjudge their, their thoughts or actions and we perceive something about them and it can be one of those places that's just difficult. Now, here's the thing. I think sometimes we look at church life and we expect everyone in here to be absolutely perfect. 
But listen, we won't be perfect until we're finally and fully redeemed when Jesus comes. What we have to realize is that the church is a gathering of broken people pursuing wholeness and holiness in Jesus Christ. And so like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, I think we have to be patient, bearing with one another in love, forgiving whatever grievances our brother or sister might have against us, just as in Christ God forgave us. It is not perfection that characterizes the body of Christ. It is being quick to love and quick to forgive. So when someone wounds or hurts or offends you, when you fold your arms and say, yeah, it's a bunch of hypocrites and walk away, we've missed the point. Be quick to offer forgiveness to that person that wounds or offends you. It doesn't also mean that you don't draw boundaries in your life with that person, but I think we have to be the kind of people who exhibit Christ's character and our willingness to love and forgive and be patient. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? And here's the thing. When, you, when we are surrounded by broken people and we really get involved and invested in their life, we are working at the razor's edge of their brokenness, and sometimes we get cut. And the difference is we're willing to bear witness to the healing power and presence of Jesus in those moments. And the reality is we cannot do this life of faith on our own. We need to be rooted and established in community and in body life. So Paul talks about being rooted. The second thing that Paul encourages the Colossians in in order to stay faithful in their faith journey is this. He says, continue being built up. And this language of being built up, he shifts from an agricultural to a construction metaphor. And this is really asking the question, what are you building your life on? Because the foundation of a building determines the shape of the rest of the building. So this question of being built up is really, I think, forcing us to wrestle with the question, what are you building your life on? What's foundational to you? Because the things that are foundational will determine the shape of the rest of your life. So if success is something that's foundational to you and what you want is the, the bigger office with the, the more prestigious title, with uh, the higher salary, you, you will focus on that and that will be the thing that you pursue and that will influence how you do family life and it will influence how you spend your time and it will influence the way you do relationships with other people because the foundation always determines the shape of the rest of the building. This is why for Paul, if you flip ahead to Colossians 3, he will talk about living as those made alive in Christ, and he will talk about instructions for Christian households because living life rooted in Jesus has profound implications for how we live and how we do family life. The foundation always determines the shape of the building. What are you founding your life on? The third thing that Paul says, and I love this, he says, rooted, built up in him, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, we've been pretty good about quarantining Thanksgiving to one time a year when we overeat and offer something that we've been thankful for one time a year, right? We do that in November. That's when we give thanks. But I, I, Paul reframes the thing. He says, our lives should be overflowing, right? I mean, imagine just uh, thankfulness pouring out of someone's life. I mean, we should be the kind of people that others look at us and think there's something wrong. Like, why is this person so happy? Life isn't this good. Why, why, why are you so happy? Because thankfulness should just be pouring out of our lives. But it's so easy, I think, especially in a season of doubt and discouragement, what happens in a place where we're wounded or where we're broken is all of our attention and time and energy is focused on the thing that's broken and we lose perspective on everything that's good and right in our lives. And the reason overflowing with thankfulness is so fundamentally important is that as we give thanks... It has a way of reframing and reshaping our perspective. 
I mean, for me, when, when Lauren and I were on that hike, all I could think of was my stomach that hurt and the, the urge to vomit and how much I hated everything about that hike. And she's walking along enjoying the scenery, probably wishing that I would have stayed back. And I'm missing everything that's right in front of me. And sometimes when we're so focused on everything that's wrong, we miss the beauty of what God is doing right in our midst, not because he's not active, but because our perspective is wrong. When thankfulness, when gratitude becomes fundamentally a part of how we live, it reframes and reshapes how we see the world. So Paul tells the believers in Corinth to remain rooted continue being built up and overflowing with thankfulness. And this is important for Paul because in verse 8 he says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And he knows that the Colossian church, much like us today, we are surrounded by a culture that has philosophies and ideologies and worldviews that do not align with the Word of God. And why this is so important is the philosophies that exist around us, there's three components to them that Paul highlights The philosophies in the current of our culture is enslaving, they are hollow, and they are deceptive. Those are the next three blanks for you. They are enslaving, they are hollow, and they are deceptive. And so when we make a detour from this life of faith and we begin to embrace the way culture functions, we begin to embrace a way of living that is often contrary to how God has called us to live in His Word. I mean, quick quick example. Think Think about something like sexual ethics right, in the ways that we engage and express our sexuality. We live in a culture that would say you should be free to express it in whatever way that makes sense to you. Just this week, I read a USA Today article that was talking about the Athletes Village in Pyeongchang, and they said the web traffic to a website called Pornhub increased over 300%. They interviewed several athletes off the record because nobody wanted to be that bold to go on the record, and they said, you know, we're stressed and there's a lot of pressure, and this is just part of how we deal with it. And and the perception or the the, the implication is this isn't a big deal. Everybody does this. We log on to this porn website and we take care of the things that we need to take care of and, and nobody's hurt and it's no problem. This is part of the freedom that we have to express our sexuality. Now, I could stand on the other side of that and tell them story after story after story of people's lives who have been ruined by sexual addiction. And the reality is there are are ideologies and philosophies of our culture that promise freedom, but if you engage them, will actually enslave you. Sex is always the easy one, but maybe it's, maybe it's being overly concerned about fostering a certain kind of image. And so we will spend hours on Pinterest so we can have the, the cute home and we can have just the right clothes and we will cultivate this image of ourselves and we will become enslaved by the perceptions of what other people think of us because that's what culture values. And the philosophies and ideologies of, of culture, they are hollow and that they lack the substance of what God's truth brings and they are deceptive in that they promise what they can never deliver. People are hungry for intimacy. They settle for sex. They're different. And culture wants to promise us a hollow, cheap, easy way out, but it is deceptive and it can never deliver on what it promises. So what is at stake for Paul is the very life-giving word of Jesus that he brought to Colossae. What is at stake for Paul is nothing other than the new life and the hope and freedom that the gospel brings. Let me just read you the rest of this section of Scripture. Verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. The fullness is found in Jesus. The fullness is not found in anything our culture would bring. It's found only in Jesus Christ. It says, he is the head over every power and authority. Paul says, in him you were circumcised. This is a cutting away. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was circumcised. 
and was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Catch this, verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. There are ways and patterns of living in this world that do not align with the word of God. And those ways of living that are a detour from God's plan for us always lead to death. But the beauty of what he's saying is that where death rules and reigns in our life, God is able to bring a resurrection. Notice what he says, verse 14 or end of verse 13. He says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Look at that. God made you alive. He forgave us our sins. And this written code, Paul's imagining there a bill, a debt that we owe that we can never pay. And he says, that debt that we owe, God picked up the tab and nailed it to the cross so that we could have life. So when Paul talks to the Colossian church, he says, church, continue. Don't give up. Don't let these things derail your life of faith because your very life and well-being and flourishing is what's at risk. Church, continue. Rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And let's do it as if our very flourishing and well-being depended on it. Because the world offers cheap and easy escapes that are enslaving, that are hollow, and that are deceptive. Here's the application that I want to leave you with today. The first one is this. I want, I want to challenge you to cultivate an attitude of intentional thankfulness. So I have homework for you again. Here's what I want you to do. This week, um, on your way to work, on your commute, when you get up in the morning, when you're home with the kids, as you go about your routine, on one day, just pick one day, and I want you to think of 10 to 20 things that you can be thankful for, and I want to encourage you to write them down. I say write them down because for me, there are many times where I'm discouraged and I get caught in that, that sort of whirlpool of my own pity and oh, I'm discouraged, and I go back and I look at the things that I've written down to be thankful for, and it pulls my perspective back. And, and so you, you might be driving to, to, on your commute to work, and you could say, God, thank you that I got three green lights in a row. I was going to be late. God, thank you that I have a car that works. Or if your car doesn't work, thank you that we live in a community with beta bus so you can get a ride to work. Or, or God, thank you that I, I have a job and that you've given me the capacity and the ability to, to work at this job. And God, thank you that I have people and friends and family that love me. And God, thank you that I have a house with a roof over my head and that keeps me warm. And, and thank you that I have food to eat, even if it's not the food that I wish I could eat. You know, I think about all the things we have to be thankful for and we just lose perspective. So on one day this week, Take a moment on, on, as you're walking to class on campus, whatever, and think about 10 to 20 things that you could be thankful for. And I guarantee you, you'll get about seven in and go, oh, I think I've exhausted the whole list. Keep pushing in and you will find God bringing things to heart and to mind that you can be thankful for. Second is this application. Be intentional about being rooted and built up. Think about what you're building your life on. Engage in prayer, engage in the word, engage in body life. If you're not sure where to start, grab a Colossian study guide and start this study with your family or, or join a small group. Begin body life there. And finally is this, if you haven't responded to the life-giving message of the gospel, I would encourage you to respond to this today. Maybe as I mapped out that person's spiritual journey, you're going, I'm not, I'm not even there yet. 
I'm that stick figure down in the corner still trying to figure out what I want to build my life on. I pray that as the band leads us in this song that you would take a moment to pray and reflect about God's call in your life in this moment to respond to the God who says, you were dead in your sins, but I have made you alive in Christ. And as we close today, I want to read Paul's prayer out of Ephesians 3. This Colossians isn't the only place where Paul uses the language of rooted and built up. He uses this in Ephesians 3. Just receive this this morning, please. Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family and on heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love would have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, surpasses our ability to understand that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, You can't even conceive of how much more God can do. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.